Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 535th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. William Irvin, professor of philosophy at Wright State University, who is going to talk to us about his book, Aha! The Moments of Insight That Shape Our World. Joining us for the second segment of our show will be the history buffs, Brett Menard and Ed Broders. Um, to begin with, we'd like to welcome Dr. William Irvin to our show. Welcome, sir. Oh, uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And you don't mind if we call you by your first name? I prefer. I'm just Bill. Okay, that that sounds great. Um, we, this is the first segment of our show, which we refer to as Farouk Dinaran, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with a definition by what you mean by insight? Okay, um, we all have moments of, of insight. Uh, so if you ha- have a functioning brain, you have moments of insight. Uh, you might have them while doing a crossword puzzle or a jumble puzzle where uh, you're straining to have uh, to, to get an answer to something and you work at it and you work at it and then um, suddenly the answer is there and, and it creates this wonderful mystery of how did the answer get there. There are other moments of insight that are kind of external where something is revealed to you from outside, you finally find out the, uh, the solution to a mystery. And so uh, a lot of religions have been, um, came into existence as a result of those moments when somebody had um, a revelation, for instance. And um, so those are what I mean by insights. Uh, they can be very profound. They can change history in dramatic ways, and they can be um, very uh, run-of-the-mill. Like I said, if you solve a puzzle, if you do a crossword puzzle, you finally see where a piece goes. That's a moment of insight. So it ranges from the mundane to the truly profound. Are there other cultures that have similar or varied definitions of insight? And to maybe give you a little example, I mean, uh, in English there's the word love, but that same word in Greek has kind of five different definitions, meaning five different things. Um, are there other cultures or philosophies that look at insight in a different way? Uh, there are lots of different things you can mean by uh, insight, lots of different directions it can go. But the, the human phenomenon that I just described seems to be universal. Um, uh, you know, and, and who knows how long back into history uh, humans have been able to have these uh, these moments, but it's a universal part of the human existence. And universal, not only in all cultures, but I would say, again, uh, everybody who has a fully functioning uh, brain, uh, universal, all people, uh, all people experience those uh, moments. Uh, are there periods of times in history where um, people who are credited with insight are kind of, I don't want to say bunched together, but are on the same maybe um, linear path of understanding. The, the three that I think of 
although they were within 110, 150 years of each other, but uh, the Buddha, Confucius, and Socrates, whenever I took the philosophy classes years ago, um, the world philosophy classes, they, and although they weren't obviously identical, but they were kind of hooked together by having insights that were so revolutionary to the world. I mean, is that a, an accurate interpretation? And are there others that kind of fit that category? Um, there, you're right. There was this thing that happened, uh, you know, uh, 600 B.C., uh, 700 B.C. to 400 B.C., where you had at various uh, points in the globe uh, these individuals rising into prominence by having a profound insight. And then the question is, uh, were they the first? Was there really a time uh, when people didn't have these insights uh, and then people started having them? Or was it the case that these were just the first recorded insights or the first insights that were able to spread so people could share them? and they became uh, stories. You know, there, there would have been a time in, in human history where uh, you, uh, where people were illiterate, where people didn't have uh, written language, where people had limited uh, human con uh, contact. You would, you would spend your life uh, with one band of people, uh, and uh, in many cases you would be traveling. Um, so, so it's just an, an issue of communication, and it's an issue of how much passes down um, through through history. So uh, I would guess that there were uh, people before that, and so maybe it's just a kind of a coordination of uh, people having insights with the technology capable of recording those insights. That that's a, would be a guess on my part. Well, let's. We've talked about three individuals who are credited for being incredibly deep. Um, let's look at individuals who I think, in my interpretation, contributed a great to the con a greatly to the concept of insight, who took it at a more um, jovial and maybe simpler level. But I always think of Aesop's fables um, as being yeah. a great tool of showing that you know very complex ideas with simple stories that um, almost anybody can understand, even in its simplest phrase, um, uh, or understanding. Do, would you agree with that? Yeah, and there's a difference between having the insight and being able to share the insight. And, I mean, one interesting thing is, in, in the case of religion, uh, a lot of times the insight is unshareable. You know, if God, uh, if, if God appears before you, and or an angel appears before you, you can tell the story of it, which might or might not persuade other people. You know, there's a very uneven um, success rate for, for those things. Um, uh, and the same thing, uh, you know, you read or you, you read a, a Taoist story, you know, uh, and, and then it dawns on you, yes, this story, there's a profound truth. And then the moment of insight is when somebody discovered that, and then clever enough to put it into a story so that it could survive uh, and other people could access it. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, 
Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today is Dr. William Irvin, professor of philosophy at Wright State University, and we're talking about his book, Aha! The Moments of Insight That Shape Our World. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. Brett, why don't you start us off, please? Gladly. So, Bill, I often find my greatest moments of insight happen um, when I'm doing other things. So, in the shower or, you know, mowing the lawn, doing dishes. Why is that? Well, uh, so it depends, you know, we have these different categories in the book. I talk about uh, the insights, moments of insight in five different domains, religion, morality, science, mathematics, and art. But certainly in science and mathematics, um, in mathematics in particular, but in science, well, I, I write books. Um, so in arts as, as well. Um, it's really strange how that works. It's like there's a muse. You know, I don't think muses actually exist, but I talk to my muse a lot because I rely on my muse to produce the words that I write. And what happens is I'll be I'll come across some writing problem and I'll struggle with it. I, I, I'm perfectly capable of spending an entire morning of writing things that I know I'm simply going to delete the next day because it's no good. Uh, so I'll give up for the day. I'll go off. I'll be having lunch, whatever. And suddenly the answer comes to me. Um, so, uh, so that that whole notion uh, of you're doing something else and then the moment of insight comes. Um, so either your muse decided to say, hey, here's what you need. Or, in scientific terms, there is a deeper component of your mind that's always working on these things. You know, you present it with problems, and it always is working with them, even in your sleep. And then uh, your conscious mind, um, at some point, it sort of says, hey, try this. Uh, and it's magic. When that happens, you're experiencing a very personal kind of magic uh, no, it's not like having an angel appear in front of you, but uh, still, it's 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 a form of human magic that's absolutely wonderful. And I know that I'd be out of business if I stopped having those moments of magic. That is, as an author, um, because I I wouldn't be able to solve the problems that uh, I set for myself. Ed, yeah, thanks, John. Um, Bill, if uh... If you have an insight um, and you're not an author, um, does it matter who has this insight? I mean, you mentioned the ability to share this, but um, if Bill Gates thought up something and I thought up something, 
same thing. We know who they're going to listen to. Yep. Yeah, so how society reacts to insights. Uh, now, my insights, again, it will ultimately be a book editor who sort of says, yeah, that's good, and it could be. Are you kidding? Uh, this is not worth doing. In religion, same thing. You have an insight, and you can either uh, – a religion can be formed around you, and you can also be put to death because of that insight if there's already a competing re religion there. So it's an interesting thing, and that's one of the things uh, when I'm exploring um, insights. I explore not only what it feels like and not only what uh, the process that precedes it, but how – the response to the insight, and, and that's two different components, how the person responds to having the insight and how society responds to having uh, the insight. And so you might have an insight and you might decide, I better keep this to myself because it's dangerous to share it. Or you might feel driven to share it uh, with others. I, I talk about people having uh, moments of moral inspiration. So, for instance, you know, they've been living with slavery uh, all their lives, and then suddenly it dawns on them that slavery is a human abomination. And then the question, so what are they going to do with that? Um, which, which itself creates a kind of a moral dilemma. Do they just sit on it, or do they try to change the world? Um, to take this kind of a more modern step when we were talking about Bill Gates, um, a young man that is in the current status of news, Sam Bakeman Freed, who is the gentleman who was supposedly the king of cryptocurrency. And they just, on the way over to the radio show, I was hearing a quick little bio on him. And he obviously is not even 30 yet. And he had come up with the idea to make crypto kind of the crypto had been there, but he was the one that who was figured out and try to make it on a grander scale. And a lot of people turned to him for this insight that this was going to be how uh, financial transactions were going to happen in the future. And they hoarded towards him. They, they rushed towards him. And then you find out later that it completely fell apart. So, I mean, how do you define insight? Is it is it sometimes, um, is it sometimes the emperor that's not wearing any clothes? Yes, I'm actually uh, funny. You should raise that because um, uh, Michael Lewis, the author, uh, has written a bunch of uh, really great books. Uh, Moneyball is among them. Right, I've read that. Um, yes, but uh, he he just uh, just earlier or last week came out with a book called Going Infin Infinite about um, Sam Bankman-Fried, and uh, Fried himself is quite an interesting character because uh, he was a puzzle solver, uh, and uh, you give him a puzzle and he could solve it, uh, but he turned his attention to solving financial puzzles, like how to, how to make a profit uh, off of all sorts of things that people normally wouldn't think of making a profit uh, out of. And uh, he actually did have skill. He successfully solved a number of problems and became fantastically wealthy in a very short period of time at a very young age. Now, the problem was he seemed to be um, uh, socially um, kind of uh, – he, he didn't have normal feelings, feelings of sympathy uh, feel, you know, the feelings you, you and I would, would have. Uh, he would 
stand in front of a mirror and practice facial expressions so it could look like it would look like he was experiencing emotions but then he just went over the top and uh, he he set up his own firm uh, he still was a very good uh, uh, puzzle solver except he didn't have management ability and uh, he didn't have accounting ability so he just he just cut loose i guess he he must have thought i'm going to make a ton more money so i can spend it like crazy and it turned out that it was an illusion you know in religion too though if you look at the history of the moments of insight of the revelations people claim to have had um, most of them have to be either delusional or fraudulent because there are so many incompatible religious uh, revelations uh, that people have had so the same kind of thing you know the person who has this moment um, what they do with it okay. and uh, and you you can misuse it that's for sure right so kind of continuing along that thread how should we evaluate the insights of those around us? Is there a good way that we can um, question them or, or dig deeper into their insights that gives us a better sense of if their insights are crap or if they're uh, worth uh, pursuing? Well, uh, in, in life, when people make bold claims, you should always be skeptical. So skepticism is your uh, friend, because a lot of the bold claims that are uh, being made uh, are, in fact, mistaken claims. And the, 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 the strange and dangerous thing is, typically, the more confident somebody is of the claim they're making, the less reliable it is. But, but we, we tend to read confidence it's a sign of competence, you know, because we think, we, you know, for them to make that bold claim, they must have gotten that figured out. But it actually goes uh, the opposite. Uh, in religion, that certainly uh, that certainly is the case. Uh, the people who um, have some feeling uh, announce boldly, "That was God I was talking to." Uh, when did when did you talk to God? Well, it was in that dream last night. Well, maybe it was just a dream. No, no, no. I'm sure otherwise. Um, so you have to have that skepticism or you're going to be misled by all sorts of people. Think about um, uh, Sam Bankman Freed. What a difficult name to remember. The uh, thing about him was he exuded uh, confidence. And people would come up and, and say, here, let me invest with you. And he would say, nah, I don't think so. And that encouraged more investment. So the, the more um, aloof he was, the more people wanted a piece uh, of, you know, the financial stuff he had. Uh, and, you know, he's just one of many financial uh, fraudsters that have sucked in a bunch of people. Uh, we, we lose when great wealth is possible. We lose our skepticism. Uh, and and that's unfortunate. Well, from the science perspective, on the way over here, I was hearing a, a show where they were talking about now they have a definition, and I think I got this correctly, of red COVID nineteen, and that was because even though the vaccinations were all over, as you were saying, you had bold 
vocal, confident people saying that the vaccination was untrustworthy and of little value, even though the science could back that. And in regions that tended to be in the South or red states, they were the people by the numbers that would not get the vaccination. And then the COVID came on and the consequences were terrible. So to put this in a modern sense, and I'm going to let Ed ask a question, how do we interpret this with science? Because you were talking about religion, but this is obviously happening in our scientific world as well. Yeah, science is, uh, is in, people misunderstand science because normally by the time people find out about something in science, uh, normally it's, uh, it's very well established uh, before it gets kind of released to the public. But at any given moment in science, there are numerous heated debates going on about what the truth is, but we don't see those. So, um, so we get the, the impression that scientists you know, just come to their conclusions with great confidence and great skill, and we can trust what they have to say. In COVID, though, it's an interesting thing. Uh, you had uh, this kind of hybrid of science and politics, and that is the people who were giving advice were putting a, a political spin on the advice they were given. Uh, I've just been looking into the Swedish response to COVID, and at first, they uh, basically said, we're not going to do extreme lockdowns. Uh, we're going to keep our economy going. We're going to keep our schools open. And at first, they had a very high uh, rate of uh, you know, infection and death. But now, when we look back, we realize that uh, they actually had one of the lowest. It's called, the, uh, well, I think, the excess death rates. So in all, in the long run, a lot fewer people died. They followed the science. They didn't allow the science to affect the politics. So the scientists would just say, here's what we think will happen if you do X. Here's what happens uh, we think will happen if you do Y. You make the decision. And in America, it wasn't that way. It wasn't that way. You had this hybrid, and, and that's really dangerous because, you know, politicians – want to tell people what they want to hear and a scientist say now nah, i'm going to tell you what's out there and then you figure you, you you figure out what to do with it ed yeah um bill do you think ai is capable of insight or maybe someday uh yes i've uh, ai i've been thinking a lot about lately and it is uh abs as i've been experimenting with a chat gpt and it is um breathtaking what it is capable of uh, doing at this point for instance i had uh, a joke that i tried out on chat gpt and i didn't say it's a joke i just said assess the following uh statement and then the statement was the statement of the joke it's slightly off-colored joke so i'm not going to share it with your audience uh, and then i said just assess this and then chat GPT. And, you know, it, it, I don't know if you've played with this, but it's like a matter of three seconds that you start getting the response. And it was this little essay saying, well, what you said was, um, was in fact a joke. And what you're doing is you're playing on the meanings of words. And, uh, and this is why that joke is funny. You know, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, 
ChatGPT gets my jokes better than my friends get my jokes. Wow. And then, um, and then realize, and then next paragraph, and it's a cautionary, and this is why you should not be telling this joke. And then it describes the different groups which could find the joke to be offensive. And then I'm thinking, well, you know, that's a lot like my wife does after I tell the joke. She might laugh, but she might say, let's just keep this to ourselves. Uh, so, uh, and this, you know, and, and um, the curve, the upward swing of AI is accelerating. It's going to be building on itself. So in the future, it's going to be vastly better. So if we pass a time when, uh, when uh, artificial intelligence, I mean, I would say right now, is borderline insights so sure in the future absolute insights um coming about in a strange way you know the history of ai is we thought we would figure out the basic rules of everything but but then they switched and then they they they're trying to do ai structured around the way the brain works so they're trying to make computers work the way the brain works so they kind of stumbled across whatever it is deep in the brain that can give rise to insights. Save us, Sarah Connor. All right, Brett. So you, we've talked a lot about um, religion and, and science and touched on math a little. What are some examples of artistic uh, insight and how, uh, how does that work? Uh, either how is it similar or how is it different from the other types? Yeah, it's a, it's a different process. You know, in math, you can prove. You have a proof or you, you can prove that something can't be proved. Um, so you have uh, that basic thing in art. You know, there's the question, is it art? So I'm a writer, but I'm a nonfiction writer. And, uh, and of course, art is what we normally associate muses uh, with. Um, but that whole notion of a writing problem, and that is where you've got something and you don't know where it goes, or you've got something and you don't know quite how to say it. So it's a problem to solve. And I spend uh, my writing days trying to solve problems. And, um, and uh, I rely, I know the process is such that unless I, event, I, I uh, devote time and energy that I know is going to later amount to nothing. I've got to go through that in order to trigger the ultimate moment of inspiration. Now, if I was writing nonfiction, I have absolutely no idea how it's done because you're just making up stuff. But it's apparently a parallel process of you've got a plot, you've got to come up with the elements of the plot, you've got to come up with the characters. It's all invented. I at least have reality you know, and research that I can base mine on. And in fiction, that's not the case. And, of course, in painting, uh, you know, how do you do it? You try stuff, and you find out what works. What does it mean to work? It means it works. It looks like art. And so you have all of these cases of uh, famous painters repainting, repainting. You know, and all of these famous pictures, they can now X-ray them, and they can say, see, oh, Look at that. The artist actually had a completely different composition. Didn't like it. Uh, the whole notion of trial and error is um, 
you're opening yourself up. The, the trials are, are inspired moments, uh, and then you find out which moments work and which moments don't work. When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 535th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. William Irvin, professor of philosophy at Wright State University, who talked to us about his book, Aha! The Moments of Insight That Shape Our World. The history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <laughs>